Hello and welcome to another episode of A Need to Read. I am so excited to bring you the conversation with David Hans Barker. Round two, and if you listen to the first episode, then you'll know that his alter ego, or other name, is Meditation Dave. We speak about all things in this podcast, from how to get into the lotus position when meditating, what the best practices are for meditating, how to set yourself up to meditate, some old literature um, from ancient sort of Indian religion that can be sort of transferred into your normal day-to-day life now in the 21st century and in the Western world. We also speak about his new book, Vision, which is all about manifesting but on a more practical level and how you can scale your emotions and use those to your advantage and a little bit about how 22 seconds can change your life. Before that, though, Let's just go for a little word from the sponsors. A Need to Read is sponsored by BetterHelp, and I'm so proud to be able to say that because BetterHelp provide a therapy service to millions of people around the world, and A Need to Read has pushed quite a few people in that direction as well, and I get countless messages of good feedback from people who have had their first session and feel like the weight has been lifted off their shoulders, and those that have completed an eight-week cycle for example, and feel so much better in themselves. Therapy really does have the power to change your life. All you have to do is be willing to receive that change and welcome it with open arms. The best way to do that is get your first foot in the door and go to a therapy session. It couldn't be simpler with better help. You go through a 10-minute questionnaire and then you'll match with a therapist within 48 hours. And as a need to read listener, you will get 10% off your first month by going to betterhelp.com forward slash a need to read. And that is in the description of the episode. But for now, I shall leave you in the very capable hands of myself and Dave. Mr. David of the Meditation Dave variety. How are you doing? I'm very well, brother, and I'm happy to be talking to you as well. Even a little bit of conversation that we just had before this just reinvigorated me from my day. Hey, perfect. That is good to hear. It's only midway through my day, and this has been the energy boost that I needed. And I honestly, I can't be happier to add you to the list of the three people so far who have come back on, on to a need to reach. You are you're a third, and right, rightfully so. So thank you I'm so much for coming back. I'd like to thank my mother. I'd like to thank God, who have both been very good to me in my life. And this is the moment <laughs> I've been waiting for. Well, uh, I'm glad. I'm glad you hold it in so, such high regard. Um, the reason that I have asked, asked you to come back on is because you very kindly sent me a copy of your recent book that has come out, Vision. And that tied in quite nicely with the stuff that we're doing on the Spiritual Hustlers Club, which is something I'll, I'll take the microphone for a moment and I'll, I'll start blowing some smoke up your ass and when it comes to life coaches or courses on the internet, I would say that I am probably one of the most skeptical people out there. And I think there are a lot of people who create these courses who are like, right, how can I just get money from people and just take that? Now, I don't know if it's just because I know you and I know that you do the, all of this stuff for love and it's, it's not necessarily for money and, and the money comes as a byproduct for you. But as soon as I saw the Spiritual Hustlers Club, I was like, right, I'm signing up for that straight away. So I signed up for it, said I was in. And then Mikhail messaged, you, messaged me and was like, oh, we could have got you in. And I was like, mate, I'm so happy to pay to be part of this because I know that there's going to be value in it. 
and I was not wrong. So the the stuff that was on vision um, in the first part of the spiritual hustle was fantastic. I did that visualization meditation. It was like 45 minutes. And I just felt clear on what I wanted. And I don't, I'm sure there are other people out there in the world that could get me to that point, but I'm glad that it was you that did. So I just want to say thank you, firstly, for sending me a book. Secondly, thank you for the Spiritual Hustlers Club because it is brilliant. And for people listening, I will never promote anyone's course on this podcast apart from Dave's right now. So if you want to sign up to Spiritual Hustlers, <laughs> I will put a link in the description here. So. And we can give your followers some kind of discount that I'll arrange with like AJ and Thomas after this. So then they can put Perfect. the link up there so then they could get like the free month um, at a big discount as well if anyone wants to jump on. And okay. yeah, I really appreciate that, brother. And for the record, that's exactly one of the reasons that we wanted to do it is because we saw so much overshined product, you know, that's over-promised, under-delivered, that we really just wanted a platform to put the stuff that we'd really learned that helped us to be able to make our money, you know, because yeah. we're all entrepreneurs before this anyway. And so it's not like we're looking at this as our make or break thing. It's more just the yeah. fact that I'm not balling out of control in any sense of the word, but I've, I've got a few million in the bank and which, which is what I want. And I'm living the life that I want to live. And I've got a few of the companies. And so I just want to be able to lay down all the stuff I know that I know worked. So all those people that are in the same situation I was in when I was younger have the tools to be able to get to where they want as well. And that's it. That's what all of this is. Yeah, for sure. And this is going to segue quite nicely into what I wanted to ask you about vision is because you've seen this life for yourself for a very long time. And I think we touched on this when, when we first spoke back in January, February time in a far greater setting than my flat in Clapham, but. And, and my hotel room in Beijing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're, uh, we're, we're going back to, we're regressing in terms of the quality of like interview spots, but there's a brilliant story that was one, on the course and two in the book. And I want to say that it's from Aranya in the Bhagavad Gita, is it? Arjuna. Arjuna, yeah. See, I'm, I've said that Which wrong. The Indians, my, my Indian brothers and sisters will hate me for pronouncing it like that because that's how you spell it in English now. But you drop the A when you say it in Indian. So it's like Arjun. So you okay. say and it, a slight inflection. Okay, perfect. But for the sake of everyone who's part of the Western world, which I'm sure imagine is who's listening to this, we're going to say Arjuna. Okay, perfect. Well, I would just, I want to hand the microphone to you for a moment and just ask you to sort of explain that story and how it is relevant to your your journey. Hmm. Well, basically, there was a warrior prince a very long time ago, and there's a book about him called the Bhagavad Gita. And the Bhagavad Gita is a slice of a story from the Mahabharata. And if you know what the Odyssey or the Iliad are, you could say that the Mahabharata is like the Indian version of those. And it's amazing. Joseph Campbell will go back to the Mahabharata and the Hindu myths and legends because they're the most complete fabric of myth and legend that you can put the other ones into. You can slide them into. So Arjuna, warrior prince, is one of the, the best fighters amongst his peers. And he's a great archer. And his his teacher is seen as giving him favor and everyone thinks, oh, why is the teacher favoring Arjuna and not um, favoring us? And they think that he's getting special attention. So one day he sets them up to shoot in a way that's going to show why he, why Arjuna is special. And so he gets all of them to be able to go to the forest, to be able to practice archery. And he takes a wooden model of a bird and he puts it on a branch deep into the trees of the forest. And they're all capable archers. They're all warrior princes, not only Arjuna. So this is a good challenge for them. 
And so he's like, okay, everyone line up, take your shots. And so they do it. And then afterwards he says, okay, I'm going to ask you one question and this is going to show you the difference. And so he goes through all of them and he asks them, warrior prince number one, what were you looking at? Were you shot at that target? And he says, oh, I was looking at the rustling leaves and the branches and the trees and all these other things. Warrior Prince number two, what did you see while you're looking at the target? See, I saw you watching me critically. I saw the other princes. I saw the target sitting on the tree as well. So he goes through them like that. And then he gets to Arjuna and he asks him, Arjuna, what did you see while you're looking at the target? And he said, I just saw the eye of the bird. And he said, you didn't see anyone else watching you while you're taking the shot? It's like, no, just the eye of the bird. You didn't see the tree that it was perched on, the branch? No, just the eye of the bird. And so this is just something that's obviously a parable and a lot of the old religious stories talk in parables to be able to show us how focusing more singularly on the details in exclusion of everything else helps us to be able to build that power and focus. And you find that in, in Christianity in the Bible as well. Because, yeah. and Jesus even says it much simpler. He doesn't even tell a parable about it. He says, if thine eye becomes singular, then thy whole body becomes full of light. So it's this whole idea that the more single, see, so you like, there's a lot of references to Jesus sitting down and praying all night as well. So it's like, that's meditation. Yeah, you know, they've he got this Here we go. He's a meditator. I mean, he was also um, the son of God, if you believe the tradition, but it's like, just depends where you, so I'm not saying you're going to walk around healing people with one touch if you meditate, but maybe you will. Who knows? <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Okay. And, and how, how would you say that story is, is relevant to your life then? Cause, um, I obviously know, but the people listening may not. To me, it's just that you've got to put the first things first. And the more that you focus on what you really want and singularly focus on that, the more you become the person that can get that. And I think this is one of the things that we miss. We, we all have our goals. We all have our targets. But we look at our goal and our target every now and then. It's something that we end up taking out of the closet and dusting off instead of having front and center. And for me, the thing that changed everything was meditation. And I always wanted to be able to go deep into the meditation. I knew that's what I wanted from my life. So when I let everything else go and I did that, then everything got better because of that. So I focused yeah. on that singular target. And I think that that's the thing that I would love to be able to pass on to other people. If, because it's what happened with me. And so for me, it took me, I'm assuming no one knows anything about me who's listening to this. So it took me from poverty and abusive childhood. Both my parents were cult members and had to reintegrate back into society. So just this madness, you know, suicide, drug addiction, blah, 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 all this stuff that I'm sure you've heard from a bunch of other people. Just a blah, blah, blah. It's very blase yeah, way to put exactly. it. <laughs> my mom pulled us through and helped us to survive. So thank God for my mother. But then what really changed is that I started to learn meditation. And what that did is it showed me that all the programming I'd received from my life when I was younger was just wrong, just completely wrong. And also that it wasn't permanent. This is one of the things that one of the main demographics I want to reach is people who are trauma survivors, because we're told a lot of the time, even with some forms of therapy, because they don't really take you through catharsis anymore, is that this is something that you need to learn to accept and live with. Whereas the reality of the matter is you can actually reprogram it. You can actually, by accepting it, by revisiting it, help it to filter its way out of your body. And so even if you never get there, it's something that I want trauma survivors to know that's a possibility that does exist. The way exists to healing. And yeah. it did that for me. And it left me entirely happy before the millions, before the, the meditation center that you've seen, Ed, I was happy sitting alone in a forest, never needed to get up and do anything else. You know, walking, yeah. walking around with a backpack, being able to sit alone, meditate all day. And I was very close to becoming a monk. 
And yeah. that's why both of us have our hairstyles, I imagine. I'm hoping your hairstyle is in tribute to me and we're like monkish brothers right now. But... You are my hero, so I've I've definitely modelled it off of you. Um, you it's... take two boxes in one podcast, Ed. So, <laughs> and so then that that peace of mind that it took me to and that um, that place of real transformation just showed me that this is the tool that I would love to be able to deliver to anyone that's in the circumstances of me. And then yeah. the reason I started making the money, I mean, there's a few reasons, but one of them was my family's always like, oh, but, you know, what what is all this done for you in the material world? You know, it, it was almost comical because I started all this stuff when I was about 14 and my family must have seen me change and get happier, healthier, stronger, better. But every time I'd come back a little bit different and better, it would still be like, oh, but what does it do here, there? And yeah. so finally, they just wanted to see what is it, how does it change our lives in a very practical monetary sense? So half of me almost like started the making the money just to show my family, oh, it can do this too. Yeah. And so, so then I started focusing it there. And that's where I started to um, come up with the technique to help people use meditation to be able to change their material lives and make money and everything like that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I'm going to, I'm going to bring up the word that is, is dirty in some sense and, and very clean in, in another sense that when the manifestation, because uh, I, I saw something the other day. I, I don't know if you've listened to this, but Joe Rogan spoke to a woman who escaped North Korea when she was 13. She's written. A I've book. seen a couple of clips of her talking to um, Jordan Peterson and Joe Rogan. Is it like John Me Park or something like yeah. that? Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So she had a, a terrible time um, all in life. And, and I think everyone in North Korea has, has a terrible time. And I saw something the other day. It was like, maybe you manifested it. Maybe it's white privilege. And it's just lived rent free in my head ever since that this woman, she comes from a place where children are eating rats. They then die because they're ill from eating rats. And then the rats will then eat the children that are dead. And she says, that's what the circle of life is in North Korea. And there is a, there is a sense to the whole manifestation and vision that it does make me quite skeptical. When, when you hear stories like that, that there is, there is definitely some, circumstantial sort of allowances that you have that you have to be able to make um where where would you sort of stand on that well that's actually one of the main reasons why i wrote this book is that there's this big gap that's been created between practical steps and practical thinking and living and manifestation and i feel like right. there's no need for that to exist at all you're sitting around all day and just wanting to visualize the perfect future that you want is not what I'm preaching at all. I'm saying that that is one part of the, the tale and cycle of creation, and you need to engage with all of it. And to me, the action steps and the practicality are the thing that help the visualization to work. If you're sitting there, and you know this, like from jujitsu, let's say, you're sitting there and you want to be as good as Hicks and Gracie in his prime which to all of you who don't practice jujitsu is being as close to like a God being able to practice jujitsu as we've seen on earth, like the Michael Jordan of jujitsu, basically. So you want to be like Hicks and Gracie. And so because of that, you sit there and you just visualize yourself being like Hicks and Gracie, you know, doing all the things Hicks and Gracie does, but then you never actually take the steps to doing those things. The two worlds will never meet. So the thing is to have the target, but then what the target does for you is that it gathers all your awareness and your energy focusing on that one thing you want, the eye of the yeah. bird. And that's what you're focused on. And then by you focusing on that, all of your attention, awareness, emotion is going into bring that into reality to you. It's going to pull that into your reality. And then what you're going to do is you're going to see, you're going to have this barometer. Am I making a choice right now 
that is leading me towards that life that I'm visualizing? Or am I making a choice that's leading me away from it? And there might be a lot of choices that lead towards pleasure, like short-term pleasure and good things that are leading away from it. But if you really want that goal more than you want those other things, then you, you adjust and you go towards them. And that's where visualization manifestation becomes a practical skill. Yeah. And can I give an example that I give from the book as yeah. well? Yeah, for sure. This is a result of visualization. You know, yeah. so somebody had to sit down, this light shining on my face, the computer we're talking about, this chair I'm sitting on, even more basic things that were created a longer time ago. These all started in someone's imagination. And then through yeah. that, starting in someone's imagination, they started to be able to pull those things into reality. They started to think, how do I craft wood to be able to shape it a long time ago? How do I put these circuits together to make this thing and, and build these systems? So when you look at it like that, it's actually the thing that helps to create everything that we see. It's just that yeah. there's this divide between the practical thinkers and the magical thinkers. And there's no need for that. They're both skills. And if they can be brought together, then you become a much more capable creator. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think when it comes to visualizing stuff, say I was to visualize myself at six and Gracie every single day. Uh, <laughs> is a, There's a phrase that my sales manager used to say to me all the time when he'd turn up in a suit and I'd turn up in just a shirt and jeans. He'd be like, yeah, mate, dress for the job you want, not the job you got. And I think there's something in something so simple that when you start living the life that you want already, that's when it kind of comes to you. It's like if I was to, right, well, if I want to be Hicks and Gracie, I'll train like him every single day. I'll live and breathe jujitsu. And let's say as like a writer, like I know I'm not a great writer right now. I've got a quite an all right narrative voice, but my work, my after my first draft, I'm going to have to put a lot of work in to make the book good. But I'm living as a writer every single day so that at some point in 10 years time, when I've got a Sunday Times bestseller on like my fifth book, I can be like, yeah, I manifested this. And they'll be like, okay, how did you manifest it? So, well, I fucking wrote every single day without fail. <laughs> and I think that's such an important thing because, for example, you might imagine yourself with the Hicks and Gracie thing, again, being Hicks and Gracie and think you want that life. But then it's the whole Michael Jordan thing. Everyone wants to be Mike for a day, but no one wants to be Mike for a year. Yeah. And he said, because to be Michael Jordan for a year and to keep that status for a year, you got to train like Mike. You got to do everything that Mike does. You got to deal with the fans. You got to deal with everything else that he dealt with to be able to get to where he is. And so it's with Hicks and Gracie. Do you actually want to be rolling for X amount of hours every day? Do you actually want to be going through the that learning the breathwork exercises, doing the meditation under the waterfalls, doing all the things that Hickson did that separated him from that other percentile? You know, yeah. fighting with your brothers to become the top of the pack. Yeah. And I've got a sister as well. So like, she would not appreciate this. <laughs> it's, yeah, uh, she's like, Ed, I didn't buy into this whole, yeah. You just, you get off my leg. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I grew up with two of my sisters like this. Well, but both my sisters did a bit of martial arts, actually. My yeah. eldest sister, Tash, the ones I grew up with anyway, um, she, um, she did a bit of Kung Fu, Wing Chun, and she did some other stuff along the way as well. And then my younger sister did some Taekwondo, Rose. Yeah. So shout out to both of them in case they ever stumble across this. But I wanted to say as well, like with the, the writing, I think you just hit the nail on the head with that because you imagine this thing and then it's like, that's, that might not actually be the, the idea of the thing you're imagining as your target might not be the thing that actually makes you happy, but it's that yeah. you're putting the emotional contents of what you imagine to make you happy into this container of a vision in the future. Whereas what you actually want is the emotional contents. 
And that's the yeah. important part of the exercise that while you're sitting there writing, that might be happiness to you. When you imagine yeah. you being a successful writer and you find that out very quickly, as I'm sure you found with writing yeah. for me, like I've been staving off myself from writing since I was a kid because I love it so much. And so if I do it, I won't do anything else. I'll just yeah. sit there and I will write. And I, and I found out that that's just so literally true that I'll wake up. And if I start my day with writing, I'll just write for hours and I, and I won't stop to do anything else. And then it doesn't even matter to me if a book sells, if I end up becoming a bestseller, anything like that. It's just the fact that this is the function that I have dreamed myself into being. And I've practically yeah. built myself into being. So I wanted to live a life in between that love as a kid and now. So I actually had some stuff to write about. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Do you think that's what's coming up then is just more and more books? Oh, yeah, brother. I've got, I've, I mean, like. I for the, you said you had a few ideas. <laughs> <laughs> for, for the meditation books, I've got about 50 notes full of um, books there that I'm going to write and get through. And then for the stories, I, I make a new story note every year. I can't even count how many story ideas I've got. So I just, I want to deliver enough of what I think I know about meditation and what's worked for me to people in all the areas. And then I'll start writing novels. So yeah. that's another thing that I think we do similarly is that I'm not attempting to, to weave a story in any of these books. There are stories in there, but I'm not attempting to dance around the subject. What I really just want to do is in as short a book as possible, I want to give people the skill that I've learned that has produced success in my life. And I'll yeah. do that with yeah. all of them, with the visualization, the manifestation, with different forms of meditation, with the I Ching, as I see you've got on your table there, with, um, with a few other things that I've learned that have really been the tools that have helped me to change and grow. I'm just going to write them in as practical a way as possible so people know they can pick it up and be like, I'm going to actually learn the thing that works here. I'm not going to be trying to solve something else. Yeah. And I think, I think that is an important job to take on as an author is to be like, hey, I'm going to make this quite complicated subject really really simple so that you the reader can take it and you can maybe given it to a 14 year old like when you first came to the like the world of meditation and this book could be helpful and that that's one thing that I, I admire about most people who are successful are doing all the work that they do essentially as a gift to their younger self that they didn't get at the time yeah and because uh, I think it doesn't need to be complicated I think often we overcomplicate things because we want to make ourselves feel more important, not because it's actually more useful to the person we're teaching. So now, for example, if my motivation is to be able to give that book to my 14-year-old self, and there's a lot of people in situations like my 14-year-old self, like you mentioned John Mee Park, who that was much worse. You know, that, that's and anyone growing up in any kind of genocidal situation, it's horrible. I want to be able to give someone a book who needs to solve their problems and they can take that book and solve their problems with it. I don't want them to take the book and be left with, oh, the way he used those turns of phrases was really nice. You know, like, like I'll yeah. save that for my novels, right? But when it comes to the practical skills, I want them to be able to take it and they've got something that this is a formula. If you use it, it's going to work. That's it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I like that. And I mean, that being said, you, you're making it out like it's, it's not a well-written book. Like it is, as we were chatting before the podcast, like it is poetic in a way. There is good writing in there with sentence structures it seems like it's thought out but it you like you said it just comes out that way essentially um which i think is actually quite a talent that skips a lot of people is to be able to write in a sort of compelling way with a bit of like 
flow to it if if you know mm. what i mean just looking at like a heart rate monitor and that's kind of the way the words come off the page and they sort of drip feed into you because i just love reading so i could talk about it for hours mm-hmm. um so so there's a there's a few books on way for you have you found yourself like rereading any of the books that you've loved over this last year i know you're in a sort of different social scenario now that you're in china it's it's not as as social as the astana was so have you have you found yourself returning to old books or what have you been reading well one of the reasons why i'm over here and i I did this actually is because it's so much easier for me to close myself off over here yeah and whereas you know like at the astana i'm like it's literally what i describe in the book i open the door and it's there the spa's there and i love that but it's just it's so social whereas now you, you said something earlier when you were talking about the writing as well that I really love. And I repeat, I said something very similar to a friend a few days ago, which is that I feel like I'm finding my shape as a writer. Mm. And I did that with being like a martial artist when I was a kid. I did it with being a, a meditator and a monk when I wanted to really dig into that skill. And it's like you live a different shape of life depending upon the thing you want to master. And then I did it with entrepreneurship a little bit as well. And, and it changes a lot of things. And so right now I'm just... I'm taking writing as the most important thing to me. And I'm seeing how does that reshape my whole life and environment? And so what you see is a result of that. And it's almost like I'll quote Stephen Pressfield here that he says something wonderful that I think is so true, where he says people come into his office and there's one window in his office, but he's got his desk facing away from the window, facing the wall. And they say, Steve, they've got this wonderful view outside. Why don't you peer out the window and face your desk this way? He's like, because I'm not interested in the view outside. I'm interested in the view inside. And so for me, I've gone from a very social situation when I run the meditation center in Bali to here where I could literally happily not see another person for days. It never goes that long because I've got some people I'm close to here and also some people I do business with. But um, if I wake up and sit there writing and I had a steady supply of food, I could just keep on going and not do anything else except for deadlifts. Yeah, yeah. I um, <laughs> it's interesting to say it. So I would say, be careful of getting getting too lonely. I know if anyone's equipped to handle isolation, it would be you. But there's a study, um, by a fellow called John Capuccio. It's from a American study in like the early early nineties, and they tested people's sort of cortisol levels when they were feeling deeply isolated. Mm. And there's a connection. And sort of a similarity between the levels of stress for someone who's been punched in the face by a stranger to those who feel deeply isolated. And I wrote this in an article the other day for um, for a magazine. It's like I've I've experienced both, and I don't actually know which one's worse. Like mm-hmm. whether being punched in the face by a stranger sucks more, or feeling like you're isolated. Totally, one hundred percent true. I guess it's just that. I'm alone. I'm not lonely to quote Robert yeah. De Niro from Heats or whoever wrote that line for him, you know, yeah. but, and, and also actually I'm not alone. Like I do have some people yeah. here are close to me. So I want to lock myself up alone like that, but I don't think I ever go a couple of, I, I don't think I even go a day without seeing a human being here. But all I mean is compared to the Astana, where it's a heavily social environment. Yeah. It's much less social than that. And I can easily, you know, narrow down my focus a bit more. Yeah. You've, you've, you've honed in, honed in your focus. Um, you did say something earlier about the emotions and and one of my favorite parts of the course that I'm doing sort of through you was that scale of excitement when mm-hmm. using it to sort of manifest. We spoke about using emotions, but what would you say the sort of scale of excitement is for people who, who have no idea about it? 
when I started to look into manifestation, I found a similar thing that you're saying, which is there is some, there is something useful there. And like the, the secret, the law of attraction, all these things. I don't want to be one of those people that completely rubbishes that because there's some useful stuff there and I wouldn't want to turn anyone off it. However, when I was looking at it, when I came back from living like a monk and I'd, I'd started to, to be pretty good in this field and pretty good at navigating this system. And I realized there was a missing link there which is that the thing that you visualize and where your thought moves isn't the primary thing that they say it is. The connecting dot is how much importance and emotion you put, how much charge you put behind those things that you're visualizing and thinking. And so our scale of excitement is basically just the scale of whatever you're feeling at any time. So that can go all the way down to depression, despair, whatever the bottom is, it's all the way up to rapture, you know, and ecstasy. And so if we're just letting whatever we contact on a day-to-day basis, decide where we are on our scale of excitement, we're letting ourselves be completely at effect. Whereas you can actually decide how much excitement, how much enthusiasm, how much love you bring to everything. And then you're choosing to be able to create that dial. And obviously that's going to help you day-to-day just be a happier, healthier person if that's all you want. But then when it comes to visualization manifestation in particular, what it does is it allows you to choose how much emotion you're investing in each image that you've created in each thing. So right now you might have a shitload of emotion invested in your workplace, a stressful environment. Like you're saying where maybe you feel isolated, you don't like anyone you're working with. And now there's a lockdown and you can't even, you know, build new friends or whatever the situation is. For yeah. you. That can be something a lot of people are going through right now. So you might have actually quite heavily invested in the emotion that exists in your workplace. And you don't know the tools to be able to take that emotion out of there and put it somewhere else and to be able to adjust how you feel. And so there might be more emotion going into recreating that negative situation than there is into creating the positive situation you want to live in. And so what I want to do is I want to show people how to be able to choose how much emotion they're putting in any of these one situations or buckets and decide which one to put it in. And obviously you want to put it in the best one, right? The one that's going to get the best results and you want to be able to generate the most of it as possible. So we all have an entry point of something relatively positive. It might not be ecstasy or rapture unless you're someone who's just uh, super excited all the time, but you can enter into love. You can enter into good memories that help you to feel affection and gratitude for people. This is why gratitude practice is such a powerful thing because it straight away taps you into that positivity. Then if you can focus on that, for at least 22 seconds, then you rise up the scale of excitement. You'll notice it. You'll, you'll start to feel, oh, I'm, I'm actually getting happier. And then the things that you start to visualize from that become more fitting and in line with your vision. And when you get to the point where you're, you're feeling something so powerful that it feels almost scary, you know, so it's yeah. so good, you're almost scared of imagining it could be possible for you. Then when you get to that level, you know you're at the right level to start creating an image and a house yeah. for your visualization. And that's where you want to house your emotion because that's where you yeah. want to go, right? Yeah, for sure. I like that 22 seconds of just focusing on something because firstly, I mean, focusing on something for 22 seconds for some people is going to be difficult and it's, and it's, and it's going to take practice to get to that point. But there's, there's definitely something in that. Like when you, I've done like an inner child meditation before where I had to focus and give my young child, me, a hug and sort of like welcome them in. And after about 30 seconds, like I was beaming. Like, you know, I was, I was not like in ecstasy. Cause like, I mean, I've done ecstasy and I wasn't at that point. <laughs> like I, <laughs> I was just very happy and it wasn't something I felt that I had asked for. If, if you know what I mean, it just came quite naturally. 
Um, so that can change very quickly. Yeah. So to, to cut in there. Into that. Yeah, we, we seem to think that it needs this long process. And look, I'm a big fan of the disciplined approach. You know I am. You know yeah. I love the Vipassana. You know I love the long grind of the meditation. But the reality of the matter is there are some people that need a solution right now. And there are yeah. solutions you can use right now that will make an immediate difference. So I didn't mean to derail you there, Ed. I just wanted to throw no. that in. No, that's right. I think there's something I was going to say. I want, I want to come back to the gratitude in a moment just because it's – it's a practice I think people can start doing it habitually to the point where it becomes autopilot and they're not actually practicing gratitude and, and putting thought into it. But that 22 seconds to happy is that's what I'm going to sort of hijack that and call that. There's, there's a 90 second rule when it comes to negative emotions as well, is that your well, physical response as an emotion will only last 90 seconds. And that's mm -hmm. science. Can't tell you who gave it, but I read it in a book called How to Do the Work by Dr. Nicole LaPera, which is, is essentially therapy in a book. So if people can't afford therapy, spend 10 quid, you can get this book and, and it should, Thank you, Dr. Nicole. should, should do, do a job. But like when you get angry about something, and I revert this back to road rage, whenever I talk about meditation, is when I used to skip days of meditation, I'd find myself getting annoyed at things that are completely out of my control, like someone else in a car. But when, when you get annoyed and you get tense and your body, you're like, a, you go into that fight or flight, that's only 90 seconds. Anything after that, that is a choice that you're holding on to that emotion. And that's when it starts ruminating in your head. So how many seconds would it be? 112 seconds. You can turn yourself from an angry human to a happy human if you practice that 22 seconds. And actually, if you meditate, um, more regularly, it can be much quicker than that because you can catch an emotion straight away. You can feel the sensation and stop it. But where I learned it, and a great example of where I learned it was from one of my friends in London, actually, Dennis, okay. who I grew up with. And he had a kid really young with one of his, with his childhood sweetheart. And so he had to quit uni halfway through and he became a manager of like a blockbuster video store back when they used to have them. For you youngsters, that's where we used to get our videos before they had Netflix and even before <laughs> they had Love Film and all that stuff. But um, but yeah, so Dennis was a was a blockbuster video manager for a year or so. Well, his wife was pregnant and they're waiting to have the baby and everything. Then he went back to university. But while he was a manager, he said that some people would come in so angry about like the wrong DVD being in the box or the DVD skipping when it was scratched and everything like that. And they throw it there and they start a big argument. And back then, Dennis was one of the nicest guys I knew. So them coming in like that, it's like, it's not because he's given them anything to, yeah. to be able to create that emotion. They'll come in, they'll be super angry. And he said, what he'd do is, however that interaction went, the next person he would be as nice to as possible. Whoever came to the front, whoever came to deal with him, he would make an extra effort just to be super good to this person, be nice to them, maybe even do them a good deal, just because he didn't want that negative person's emotion to be able to create a knock-on effect with him that he was going to carry through and pass on throughout the rest of his day. And I thought that was so intelligent for a 19-year-old guy to figure that out in a real-world situation. So I always remember that example. Yeah, for sure. I think it, it all comes down to sort of not letting things or people hijack your emotions and just so that you can, you can keep some form of control. Um, but just going back to that gratitude that I, I said about um, a moment ago, what, what's your sort of practice of gratitude? Cause I, I imagine after years of practice, it's something that you sort of 
you just live it or is it something that you actively have to keep practicing? I think more about love than gratitude, actually. And I don't know how far you got on our meditation course, Ed, the, the Vipassana one. But on day six of the meditation course, we teach a technique called Metta Bhavna. And so if anyone wants that, that's a completely free course. You don't need to buy anything. Go to VipassanaOnline.com and you learn a few techniques. One, first to help you focus. Two, to help you explore your body. And then three, to start to help to reach out with those emotions and that awareness to your external world. And that's where yeah. the love comes from because you don't want to reach out with hatred, right? And start to project negativity outwards. So yeah. for me, this practice is Metta Bhavna where you learn to be able to find love within your body so then when you connect this feeling of love to the threads of all these relationships that exist in your life, what you start to realize is that just as your body has stored all this information about negativity and all this programming we've got from when we're younger, that's positivity. So does your relationships. So does this, the record of your relationships. And you've got a record of all of them coming out of you connecting to these people and you can feel it. So even your most loving, positive relationships, like your relationship with your mom, your dad, your best friend, they might be largely positive but there might be sometimes some interfering debris in the way of that love and what you learn to do is to be able to focus on that love at the exclusion of everything else and so yeah. it's not a practice of seeing them inaccurately it's not a practice of ignoring their negative qualities it's a practice of saying i love this person and i'm going to send nothing but love towards them despite what the other things are that exist in our relationship and so to me, I don't do a practice that's directly gratitude related, but I find that the same thing comes out when you do this, basically, because I'm looking at all the people in my life, all the things in my life and feeling grateful for them. And it's funny because it can get a little bit trippy as well, because you start with the people you love and the people closest to you. And then maybe the people actually physically closest to you, if you're meditating as well, and the things that are associated with you. But if you go deeper into this, you start to think of all the things you are grateful for and all the things you love. And to me, I go for... I go to like the earth and then I go to the sun and you start thinking about things like, oh, wow, if we were just a few degrees further away from the sun, we'd freeze. If we were a few degrees closer towards the sun, we'd all burn. And so then you actually feel like a genuine love for the sun and for the position of the earth in relation to this. So it goes from the very small to like larger to issues around the world and people that are suffering to even larger to like the cosmic level. And then you just walk around genuinely feeling this love for the life that we've all been given and the life that we're a part of. Yeah, for sure. And we've, we've spoken about that before, I think, um, about like the love of fate. And, and you gave that analogy of the cake and you love the cake and, and also the crumbs, the little shitty bits that make a mess. Um, and I've, I've got it tattooed on me. I mean, it's on the back of my arm, so I often forget about it when, when the going gets tough and, and I maybe don't love fate so much, but it is such a, an important thing to be able to remember. And I've definitely done a meta meditation before. I think it was through the Sam Harris's app years ago, and I did find it difficult because within five sessions of like 10 minutes of meta, you're thinking about someone that you don't like, which, yeah. is, which is difficult. Um, but you do feel a, a sense of release when you try and send this like loving energy towards people that really you don't probably like that much. Well, the, that's one of the big things is that what, what you often get, especially when you teach meditation is people who have been through real trauma and they have people who have done negative things to them and they don't want to associate themselves as victims, but they also don't want to whitewash their, their relationship to that situation and that person. And this is where you have to really imprint the fact that it's not a judgment mechanism 
It's just a, like you said, it's regaining control of your internal emotions, not letting your emotions be hijacked by other people. So I don't know how it was taught to you, but classically it's taught after you've learned Vipassana. Because if you haven't learned the ability to feel the sensations within you and not react to them, then you haven't learned to be able to get to the right position to be able to send out this stable, loving awareness. And it can just yeah. become a bit of a pretense. It is embarrassingly something I still need to do is the Vipassana course. And there is that resistance that I'm facing. I know, I know I'm <laughs> facing the resistance and it's, and it's whooping, whooping me. And I do, well, I I'm do. About need- to, I'm about to create a one day. One day of a passion. One day. Well, it will be one day and it will start with Anapana. What I'm going to do is I'm going to create one day meditation challenges and it will start with Anapana. And then I'll add each of the skills as one day challenges because I realize the 10 days can be a lot for people to take on. So we'll do it in one day and we'll give it to people and then they can go through the stages. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And like I knew after speaking to you, my, my motivation for meditation would have, uh, would have gone up. So I've scheduled an hour tomorrow morning that I'm doing I'm sat about half an hour at the moment but for a long time embarrassingly I've been sat against a wall doing it and I've read from stuff that you have have produced like alongside the spiritual courses sitting unsupported with your back up straight and it's it's difficult I've even had to join a gym to make sure that my core muscles are a bit stronger so that I can Mm -hmm. do it because for some reason unbeknownst to me my core is not that strong and I know that it's a bit of practice and this is actually because I, I did put out on Instagram for people to send, send a few questions. And one of them was about the Lotus position. Um, Cause you've obviously got a perfect Lotus position. We've all, we've, we've seen pictures of you sat with your legs crossed. Um, how, how to master that posture? Like, it, well, the, I think I know the what is, the answer will be, but. It's like everything in life. It's just incremental change that helps you to be able to adapt to it with short bursts of intensity. I would say, I think is one of the things that often gets missed. Like when I learned it, same as you, Ed, and I would say, I don't think it's your core muscles that are going to be too weak. What people don't realize is when you're sitting unsupported, you start to be able to feel the balance of the way we programmed all our muscles. So the, the muscles we built for jujitsu might not be good for meditation. You know, they might not even be good for deadlifting even though you think that the things would work together. So when you're sitting straight unsupported and you start to get into the way that your body works, you're going you're gonna to let your natural intelligence take over and start to have your internal chiropractor adjust you. And all you're feeling yeah. is the pain of that, the things that are lacking and things that aren't. So when I started, I started after I just came out of um, doing a lot of Muay Thai when I was younger. Okay. And so I had all this pain, yeah, like programmed into me and I could only sit cross-legged and very badly cross-legged, I would like to say as well. Knees not touching the ground, up like this, back bent forward, like in horrible posture. You can just see how much worse that looks. That's me. (laughs) There we we go. And I was there. And then slowly it works its way down and your, your internal intelligence takes over and you get to a more correct position. And then for me, it was like this okay, now I could sit an hour without moving cross-legged, like regular cross-legged, sukhasana, whatever you want to call it, not even that technical, just regular cross-legged. And then I was like, I started to tap into deeper states of meditation. And I actually wanted to go into deeper positions to be able to pull out more pain. Because okay. when you're in a deep state of meditation, you can actually process this pain and it can be useful. You can go through the trauma cycle of transmuting it, transcending it in, instead of just trapping it inside of you. 
And so I knew all the pain and difficulty I could dig up right now while I'm in a good state of meditation can actually get processed intelligently. So then for me, the use of going into half lotus was that was, oh, if I go into half lotus, I pull up a deep layer of sensations trapped in my body. And if I go into full lotus, I pull up an even deeper layer. So what I do is I give short bursts of doing half lotus or full lotus while getting to deep states of meditation in regular cross-legged. And then I realized that you could just do that. And then it just became a discipline to be able to build slowly towards that. The other side of it is that you realize after becoming a meditator who needs to meditate for a long time, cross-legged isn't the best position to meditate in. It's better than some others, but it's not as stable as half lotus. And half lotus is not as stable as full lotus. So if you're going to spend X amount of hours a day in this position, you want to be in the most balanced, most stable position. And so you just work towards getting to that. And the two ones that I would promote above the others are full lotus and the Japanese seated position, Vajrasana, you know, sitting on your knees, basically like that, because those two help to keep your body more balanced than the others. But the thing is this, I've been in psychedelic positions standing. This is minus the drugs, people with meditation. Yeah. Been in mystical psychedelic positions standing. I've been in mystical psychedelic positions laying down. I've been in mystical psychedelic positions sitting cross-legged with my back supported, Ed. So, and obviously I have in half lotus and full lotus um, as well. So even if you can't get into half lotus and full lotus, you can still get the deep work done and get deep into meditation by sitting cross-legged with your back against a wall. So don't use that as a barrier to say, I'm not going to meditate. Just know that there are better positions and worse positions. Yeah. Yeah. I think is that's, that's the answer. People know that they're going to get from that is you have to do the uncomfortable thing to get to the point that you want to do, um, which is, which is that full lotus position. And honestly, for me, like I'm, I'm hearing that and I'm thinking, yeah, you're just giving up a little bit too soon every now and then just like, like I'm, I'm letting that discomfort beat me which of course is is not how you win no but it's understandable and that's why i don't just attempt to push you into the 10-day course ed because i'm a sadist i attempt to do it for one specific reason and that's because it's going to give you a glimpse of what's possible with the technique if you've only yeah. ever meditated for 20 minutes or an hour you have not seen what meditation can do You've seen a very small range of what meditation can do. And after you do the 10 days, yeah, you might not be enlightened and you might have had to go through a lot of pain to get there, but you're going to see some things that your own mind can do on your own that are amazing. And then that's yeah. going to be the motivation for you to build a stronger practice. Whereas if you've only ever, if you've only ever like seen little fluctuations, it's difficult to get a massive rise out of yourself. And the thing is, it does happen incrementally, but your head goes above water in a millisecond. It happens there. So it's like, you can do all this work to get to the point where you're right on the surface, but if you don't put your head above water, you never see what the thing can do. And that's the thing yeah. is getting people to that point where they finally get their head above water. And they're like, oh, this is magic. This is gold. That's why I'm doing all the rest of this day-to-day -day meditation because it can do this. Mm. And it's at least what, it's like 10 hours a day. 10 hours a day, you can, like, if you're listening to all the discourses um, seated and the other instructions seated, then you can get up to like 12 hours a day, maybe 14. Yeah. Wow. It's definitely, I, I need to do it. And I know that I need to do it because I like, I, I want to experience it, but it's just that little bit inside me that's just like, are you ready for this? Okay. It's like this. Tell me, 
tell me one thing that you want to change in your life right now. And it can be an internal thing. And probably most things that we really do want to change are internal things. We just think they're external. I would say my focus, which is quite lucky because that's what this last, the productivity part on the spiritual hustlers club that I'm working my way through. So I would, I would honestly say focus. I've, I've tried to diagnose myself with ADHD in the last couple of weeks and a few other things. I'm a pathologizer. Um, but I would say genuinely that it would be focus on whatever's in front of me at the time. And what would be a sign for you that you would become that focused individual you want to be? Getting things done in an efficient manner as soon as they come up. Not as soon as they come up so that someone else is demanding my attention, like emails and stuff, but like when I sit down to do a particular task for an, maybe an hour, that's what I do. I don't okay. get up and try and speak to my housemate. I don't get up and, oh, my phone. All right, good. So what if you sitting there on a focused task could be the best part of your day? Mm. Like I mean, if that while you're doing deal. It, Yeah, like what's happening inside of you is more interesting to feel and experience than anything that's happening outside of you in that moment. Yeah. You know, like... Imagine if while you're sitting, doing that task, doing that writing, you're feeling energy flowing through your arms. You can feel the activity of your nervous system. You can feel your blood pumping through you. And you can be entirely absorbed in that. In that state, an Instagram post doesn't seem that appealing, does it? No, definitely not. And I don't think an Instagram post is that appealing at any point. It's just that, that natural proclivity with like, don't do what you should. <laughs> There's that, no, but there is the dopamine, you know, there is that dopamine here, which does give us something. And I think one of the things is that, yeah, resistance to pain, hormesis, all of this, hormesis, sorry, my bad. Like um, all of this is wonderful and learning to be able to, um, to do that makes you a stronger person. But we don't think about bandwidth of pleasure either. And if, if you're naturally carrying a higher charge of pleasure than an activity that's meant to draw your awareness, it doesn't draw your awareness anymore. And so that's what happens with meditation is that your bandwidth for pleasure increases too. And you realize I don't need anything to feel that pleasure. Yeah. I could go and fall in love. Yeah. I could start having sex. I could start in less healthy ways, watching porn. I could go and eat some chocolate. I could go and whatever, do these things that we get to get dopamine hits, or I could just sit here and be carrying that feeling with me my whole day. Yeah. And then it's like only the truly great worthwhile distractions can pull you off center. How would it be if you could sit there and feel like that, Ed? It'd be good. I think I might do it in September. That's what 10 days will give you. It'll give yeah. you that ability to realize this is, this is the biggest game happening at any moment in your life. And it's right there just waiting for you to open the door and engage with it. It's as simple as that. I think it might be time. Yes. Yeah, you've That's done it. I came back to done. the podcast. <laughs> yeah. one, one more one more one more for the good guys shout out to kevin nash <laughs> um there was another question um that came up on on the instagram it was actually about gratitude which is something we we've already sort of covered but when it comes to meditation like for people through apps and stuff like that would you say that guided or silence would be the most important or most beneficial I say start with guided so you're getting the correct instructions and you actually know what it is you're meant to be doing, but then make silent your main course. 
So guided can be the the stabilizer wheels that pull you into it. But if you can do it silent, that's much better. And then eventually it can be like main course versus dessert. You know, everyone likes a dessert every now and then sweeten up the life a little bit, but your, your main plate, your main meal, your nourishment should be you in silence. Because the thing is this, you don't get to that state where this is the main game by focusing on someone else. You got to focus on you. And then, so like where your awareness is fixated depends upon how deep you can go into yourself. And so you want your awareness to be fixated on as, as subtle a layer as possible. So anything that takes you out of yourself makes you focus your awareness on a, on a more gross level again. Yeah. Okay. Right. Well, that's good. Cause I've been doing silent for a little while and that's what I'll be doing tomorrow morning as well. Um, someone has also said lots of meditation techniques out there, how to know which ones are best. And I would, I would wager that I know the answer to this one, that it'd be the passion of meditation would be your go-to. Well, for me, I would say the passion of meditation for sure. And that's not because I have any allegiance to the technique. I want to make that clear to people. Like from night, from 14 to 23, I was practicing a bunch of different meditation techniques. I was exploring, experimenting, testing Zen, Qigong, Chan, you know, um, different Tibetan Vajrayana techniques. I, I won't list them all because there were a lot. And yeah. Vipassana to me is just the thing that solves that problem that we were talking about earlier in the podcast, connecting the mundane to the mystical, connecting the practical to magical thinking. And so there are so many techniques out there. And were you a fan of X-Men when you were younger, Ed? Like the X-Men cartoon, were you too young for that? Uh, No, I did like the cartoon, actually. That was a Saturday morning ITV3 jobby. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, exactly. It was like a lot of us grew up like of like our generation, even though I'm a little bit older than you. So maybe the generation above. But let's say these few generations, like loving this concept of X-Men, of finding like a magical place to go and learn a magical skill where you suddenly discover you've got these abilities. Right. But then you find it's a common myth that runs through a lot of things. You find it in ancient stories. But then we've got an even more modern one with Harry Potter. So people dream about this a lot. We intuit that this exists. There's this way for us to learn these things. And the problem is a lot of these techniques you learn, they promise magic, but then they say that you just have to be a believer to get there. And it only happens to a very few people. So don't focus on the magic, just accept these really low level results and be happy that you're getting those. And maybe one day, if you're special, you'll get here. Because Vipassana is the opposite of that. Vipassana has the complete alphabet of walking from the practical to the magical. And you really know when you practice it, it's just up to you. It's as simple as that. It's not easy. You've got to be able to do the whole thing. But if you can do the whole thing, there's an explanation there from A to Z, and you don't have to believe in anything along the way. So that's the reason why I think Vipassana is greater than the other meditation techniques, because it has the complete alphabet of the practice. It doesn't just have sections. Yeah, it, de- it definitely I suppose it seems to be the path in, but also the path out for, for a lot of people um, in that sense. Um, what else have we got? In- Someone has asked how to manifest money and prosperity. I would say that that's probably been covered um, so far. And I would say to that person also, just don't focus on the money. Just focus on doing something to, to help. I, I think that's good advice, but technically it's not the advice I would give. Like if you're no, saying, no. if you're paying me right now to tell you how to manifest the money, I would say, do focus on the money, mm-hmm. like focus on the money. But it's like this. Well, first, let me just give a quick answer just so people get it. If they listen to that, right. Yeah. One, this is exactly what I talk about in my book. But if you never read my book, I also want you to be able to learn how to do this. So it's basically just this, which is one, 
create a vision. Two, practice the scale of excitement where think of something that excites you and hold on to that for 22 seconds until you can raise the level of excitement and then eventually create a vision when you get to the level where you're so shaken up and even scared by the level of pleasure you're going to contain. And then three, start to take steps that lead you towards that reality and only make the choices that lead you towards that reality. Let everything else fall away because nothing else is important because if that's what you really want and it should be what you really want, if you've done the first two exercises correctly, then you get there. Simple as that. That's all you need to yeah. do. You keep on doing that. You're going to get closer towards it. So with the money, I'll say, for example, Ed, how much money would make you happy right now? If I just walked up to your house, and I just dropped a suitcase there. They go, there you go, Ed. Top guy that you are. I'm just going to give you this bundle of cash. I honestly, I wouldn't mind like 500 grand, maybe a million. If you want, if it was in cash, that would be a convenient amount to store. <laughs> Great. So can, can you close your eyes right now and just, just think of me dropping a million on your desk? showering you in a million dollars we do it in pounds so it's worth more a million pounds sorry my bad yeah. <laughs> living internationally for too long yeah I, forgot. I mean it's it's not a bad feeling it's a good feeling. all right good good hold on to that for a second keep the eyes closed keep the eyes closed and now imagine i had nine more bags behind me and i was like actually ed i'm just going to give you 10 million how about that how about i just throw this 10 million at you yeah, well, thanks, Dave. I appreciate this even more, actually. There we go. Wonderful. And what if I said I've actually just got a truck outside and there's 100 million in there? Or there's 90, 90 million more from this 10 million. I could just bring all of this in and just drop it into your room. We can fill up your whole room with cash. Yeah, it's, it's a scary thing to think about. I get that scary part now. And maybe that's where my limits are of, of like well, thinking back to when I've, I've done the visualization is I didn't think of an exorbitant amount of money. It was like, I think I'd thought about 400 grand in my current account would be me pretty happy because I knew that, that mean I'd have more in like investment accounts and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But I suppose that is a limit that I've, I've put in quite a weird one, actually. Maybe it's my favorite number is number four. Maybe that's what it was. No, and there's, there's no problem with that in the sense of the level of money. The problem is, is it enough to gravitate all of your emotion? That's the problem. And the thing is that if you chose 400 grand, because it seems like a realistic goal, and let's say you're, you're going to make 400 grand relatively soon, I would imagine, like I'm using all this stuff and doing what you're doing here and everything. It just, it's that big hitch because it will take you into like financial independence. And that's like yeah. that big thing. But if you chose that because you thought it's an easy goal and it's not what you really want, then that means that it's your 10% goal. You're going to put 10% of your awareness into that. Then where's the rest of your 90% going? And what we want is we want a goal that's going to get 100% of your awareness, your emotion, all magnetized. So you can be like a Juna focusing on the eye of the bird. Whereas if it's like, oh, yeah, it would be all right, but it's not that great, then it means that you're not going to put everything into it. You're not going to wake up at 5 a.m., 4 a.m. You're not going to do the 18 hours because that's going to seem like a grind and it's not going to be full of love. It's going to be yeah. full of love and ecstasy if you're really doing what you want to do. Yeah. What an answer. I feel like I can tell you now I'll be doing the visualization again today, see what, see what I can get to. Um, what else has someone said? I want to say before you move on, a person that uses that add a zero technique is called Brandon Collinsworth. 
I don't know if you know him. He's got a great Instagram channel as well. So just want to give him a shout out as well. And he talks about that a lot, adding a zero, adding a zero to every area of your life to make it incrementally bigger. Yeah. Add a zero. I like that. Um, someone says they're not enjoying meditation anymore and it feels like a chore. What, what would your tips be for that person? Well, one, I don't know what form of meditation you're doing. So it's difficult to be able to give you a real answer um, on your specific condition. But I would say in general, if something's become a slog, I would say the thing to do is to reinvigorate the vision, to be able to find out what exactly it is you're doing it for. Like for me, yeah. the reason I dug into it so much is like I was deeply in pain. I mean, even while I was happy walking around having fun with my friends, I was deeply in pain. I had it on the inside. There was nothing I could do about it. And at some point, I just had to come face to face to the fact that it's like, whatever I might be able to spike my emotion to in a moment, I'm going to reset to this level of pain and trauma. And that's just yeah. with me. And so if I don't do something about that, this is me for the rest of my life. And so the question is just, do I want this to be me for the rest of my life? You know, and the answer was no. So what am I willing to try? What am I willing to do to be able to change what my baseline state is? And for me, that was a lot because I'm quite an extreme person. So I was yeah. willing to sit there for 18 hours a day. I was willing to feel my body on fire, you know, after all that pain just accumulates because a few moments of pain is nothing compared to a lifetime of happiness afterwards. And yeah. Thank God it worked. Yeah. It's, a, it's, always, it's always so inspiring to speak to you. I love it. I feel so, like, honoured to be able to sit down and have these chats with you on a one-to-one -on -one basis because you are one of those people who just gets it done and it's a it's a rarity nowadays i think because maybe it's coming back into fashion getting it done it maybe it is something that is becoming more mainstream again you're you're definitely a great example of that of just being like i don't like this i need to change it this is what i'm going to try and you just fucking did it. And I, I always admire people like you because you just, you do it and then it's done. That's what um, this guy, Sandy Clunas, he runs a podcast called The After Hours Lounge and, and we chat quite regularly. And that's what he said to me. It's like, my greatest phrase ever is just do it when it's, do it, then it's done. It's such a simple concept, but it's, it's, it's so true. Um, so yeah, thanks. Thanks, Dave. I... Well, thank you, brother. Thank you very much for the compliments as well. Sorry, the audio is a bit choppy for me, but yeah, I appreciate that. And like, just one thing I want to say there, though, is like, it's not about me. It's not about any difference to do with me than anyone else. It's that there are methods, there are ways to be able to do these things. And that's exactly what I wanted to show with, with the techniques. It's like someone taking this technique and using it appropriately, they could produce much bigger results than me. Because if I'm being perfectly honest, and this is like a bit of a weird thing to say when I'm in this space of teaching yeah. about like growth and, and the money and everything, I'm just not that ambitious a person, yeah. you know, because I'm, I'm so, my ambitions are like stupid things. Like I want to um, deadlift a shitload of weight, right? And more than three yeah. times my body weight. I like, um, I want to write my 100, 200 novels that I've got stored in my notes in my, in my phone there. But like they're not yeah. ambitious, ambitious things. I'd love to see human trafficking solved in my lifetime and that stopped. So I'm not ambitious in the classical sense. Where someone who is a truly ambitious individual who took this could use this to do anything. And so I'd love to just be able to have that there on the table where everyone knows that option exists. Yeah, for sure. But megalomaniacs need not apply.
We do not want any of them. <laughs> Unless they're loving, caring megalomaniacs, then yeah. we need you. You're yeah. the person we need. Definitely. Well, Dave, thank you so much. Where where can people get your book? It's on Amazon, right? At the moment. Yeah, just search it on Amazon. Vision, David Hans Barker should be easy to find. Perfect. I'll put a link link for it in the description, as as well as the spiritual hustler. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for coming on. I really, really appreciate your time. Thank you, my brother. You are perhaps my favorite person to podcast with. I love talking to you, Ed, and I love what you're doing. So yeah, and now that you've got the same haircut as me, it's like it's added like an extra 10% to that. Just being <laughs> on the camera with you looking, it's like, yes, we're, we're slowly morphing into one being. It's happening. Yes. Excellent. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you very much, Dave. Well, thank you so much for listening to that episode. Hopefully you got a lot from that conversation, just as I did. I love speaking with Dave and what Dave's up to. If you want to get a copy of his book, is it available on Amazon? He published it through them. The link is in the description and there is a lot more to come from Dave. So maybe by the time this podcast is out, there'll be another one. He just seems to be firing them out and firing them out. If you need anything from me, especially book doctor stuff, please send me an email to a need to read dot podcast at gmail.com. If you send me a 30 second to one minute voice note, just outlining what you'd need a book for, you could be in with a chance of being featured on an episode and also receiving some need to read goodies as well. But with that, I shall leave you to your day. Thank you so much for listening. Love you. Bye.